We want to open our Bibles today to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're basically going to camp out in chapter 4. I'm going to reference a couple other verses, but you can just hang right there in John 4. Now, the, the little video was great because it almost preached my message. So I'm going to have to kind of borrow from that a little bit. But it was perfect. Uh, so Jesus, the living water is today our thought. Jesus, the living water, and how that impacts us and how that is so vital for our joy and our faith. Again, this is uh, stories or lessons from the Gospels, and we're looking at the wonderful book, the wonderful Gospel of John. John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here. To draw water. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this living water that is Christ himself. That we are people here today, broken, full of faults and needy. And I myself aware of this as I try to communicate your word. I need you in a desperate and real way. So would you come today and pour out this living water that you speak of afresh to myself and to this congregation. May you build their faith and their joy and grow them in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That we may be conformed to the image of your dear son. And Lord, we thank you for this dear and darling son that you gave as a supreme sacrifice for us that we may be saved. Not only saved for the world to come, but saved here and now to be filled with your life and to give it to others. So we praise you today for all of this and we pray desperately for the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. It comes from C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, one of my favorite books of all time. little small booklet. He who has God in everything else has no more than he who has God only. Now that summarizes the point of our message today. That summarizes and gets to the heart of what I want to say to you today. Uh, knowing my time is short here, I have this week and next week. So I really want to press home this point and, and almost, almost as a grand crescendo of the messages that I've preached here to you so far. 
Um, if we're trying to go on degrees of importance of what I've said, this ranks up pretty high. So please listen today. The main point of all of what I've said so far, leading up to now, is essentially C.S. Lewis's summary and his quote. That God is the source of all goodness and joy and truth in your life. That if you have him, if you have him, you have everything you need in anything you would desire. Not if you know about him or you're associated with him because you go to a Christian church or you attend a church on Sunday for a couple hours and you go back home. But I mean you really have him. There is a vital, living, daily relationship with Christ. And you, and you know it. You feel it. You have his presence. When you pick up his word, you're, you're, not just, uh, you're not just handling a book, but you're hearing from your father. When you hit your knees or you bow your head or you lift your hands, you're communicating with the God of all eternity. And there is something about that that is meaningful and that impacts you and that has a sustaining effect for your life. He is the source of all strength for you. So my family and I were talking last night. We had a time of a great time of prayer. Um, now, I'm not always perfect with family worship and devotions, but we, we, seem, uh, we seem to go through our ups and downs with it. But we're trying right now in a season to get back to family worship. And, and we gathered the kids last night and we had a moment of prayer and we talked with them. And some of the things that come up uh, that I want to sort of mention today and carry over from our conversation because it applies to what we're talking about. We were simply talking about idols last night. Idols or empty wells as I want to refer to them today. Empty wells, places or people or things that we go to and we turn to before we turn to Christ and simply they are empty wells. Places we turn to for happiness or, or some kind of gratification or pleasure. Something almost of an addiction. Things that we grab at and we pull at that maybe are unintentional that we put before our Lord and we find true, or not true, but we find some sense of happiness and fulfillment in them that will ultimately fall into ruin and despair. That will lead us to discontentment. So idols and things or people or, or just it could be a number of things. I want to tell you this, that God is committed to you. Amen. He is committed to you. So much so that he gave his one and only son for you and he's committed to you right now in terms of your growth, in terms of your, your growth in grace, your growth in sanctification, becoming like Jesus Christ. He is jealous for you and jealous for a pure bride, a bride of Christ that has made herself ready to receive the great groom, the great king. He is jealous for you. You've, you've heard the song, right? The, the great John Mark McMillan song, He is jealous for me. That, that may sound strange to someone that, that truly doesn't know Christ, but we understand that our God is a jealous God. In the most good and healthy and positive way, He has committed Himself to us. He has married us. He has covenanted with us. We belong to Him. 
And he is jealous for the fact that we grow and become his people in the world. He is committed to this idea. So much so, that means he is committed then to knocking down and crushing every single idol that you have. Your whole life will be this. An up and down path or journey or growth in sanctification. In clinging to some kind of an idol and then the Lord will pull it from your heart and dismantle it and crush it. And sometimes this hurts. Sometimes this means we have to rearrange our life, our schedules. Sometimes it means we have to cut off relationships. He is committed to this. It's kind of a a repeat of the story and history of the Old Testament, right? God commits himself to a people. This people promised to commit themselves to him. And a chapter later, they're building some kind of an image to worship. Up and down, the Lord says, I will be faithful to this people, yet this people always seem to form some type of false god or image or idol that they run to before they come to me. That describes much of the history, especially of the Old Testament, and into our modern lives today. Sure, we're not melting down our gold and building a golden calf in our house. If you are, then please come and talk to me after service. We will... I will spend some time in prayer with you. We may not do that physically, but in a sense, we, as good Americans, we do that, right? We load our our schedules. We push the most important things out of our life. We, We very rarely think of eternal things. We're so caught up in time and temporary and self satisfaction and fulfillment. That very rarely do we allow God's word to grip our heart to the point where we repent or we go to someone and we restore some type of thing that's been lost and hurt to the point where our idols are finally falling down. And the Lord says, I am your one true love. I am your everything. He is committed to knocking down your idols. There is this image of water through scripture. We saw it up here very quickly. Let me recap some of it. God in creation creates a beautiful world. The Holy Spirit hovers and sort of broods over the chaotic waters to form order and to create some beautiful world where he can fill it with his goodness. From the very beginning in the creation of Eden, we see these these great rivers flowing out of the garden. A picture of of the life of God, the, the center of Eden being the communion we have with God. And that river flowing out from the garden to essentially nourish the rest of creation. It is the very life of God. Water equals life in scripture, or even it equals the Holy Spirit. So we see the life of God flowing out from the very beginning. We understand that God himself was the water in the wilderness. He was the manna that rained down from heaven. We see this image again of Moses striking the rock and water coming out. We understand through scripture that Christ was that rock. Christ was that water. That he was with them, that he walked with them, that he dwelt with them, that he carried them through the wilderness, a wilderness of, of, of 
death and, and dry wilderness, but here is the living water continuing to flow. We get to Ezekiel and there is a great valley of dry bones. And then the Lord says, I will put my law in their hearts. I will wash them. I will sprinkle them with my water and they will be clean and I will blow on them and they will come up as a great and mighty army. Here is an image of the, the desert of the earth, the desert of the wilderness, the dryness, the separation, the alienation of God's people from him. And he says, there is coming a moment in history where I will put my law in your heart and I will animate your dead, lifeless body and I will resurrect you to new life. It is the water of God, the life of God, the spirit of God flowing through his people, even baptism. Right? Baptism is a symbol of this, an image of being buried with Christ, going into the water, being immersed and being cleansed and washed and fresh and clean and being raised to the newness of life that we have in Christ. Again, the Lord is concerned about this. Jesus, in fact, is the very living water as we see here in John 4. And finally, all the way to the new creation in the book of Revelation, the river of life, a grand new Eden that is greater than the former. The former was just a shadow. And here we have the glory of the kingdom in its full revelation, the river of life flowing. In John, just in the gospel of John, you, you will recognize these phrases from John 6. I am the bread of life. Jesus says, as he feeds the 5,000. And after, he says, I am the bread of life. You eat temporal bread now, but I am the eternal bread of life, that if you eat and commune with me, you will not be hungry. In John 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. I am the living water. Jesus will, will put this claim upon himself and offer not something that he gives merely, but he offers himself. I am the bread. I am the water. I am life. I am salvation. He is the wisdom and power and might of God. Jesus Christ himself in his person. They pierced him. Blood and water flowed from his side. And we get this phrase at the end of the story in Revelation, let him who is thirsty come, he can drink of the fountain without cost, freely, because it's already been paid for by the sacrifice of the dear Son of God. The river of heaven is open to us. But you see, this is not just something that we will gain in eternity. Are you living in that connection now? And I don't mean some type of works or try harder, but I mean, are you connected to the vine in a way that there is this life-giving power in you? That you are content, that if you have nothing in this world, that if everyone you love and know leaves you tomorrow, you have Christ. That job, that career, that relationship, that friend, that car, that whatever it may be. Put, the, put the, uh, the something in the blank there. Whatever that idol that pulls us away. Now, we have a lot of idols in our life and this is one of them, right? This is one of them. 
Now, I did point out to the family, this is kind of peculiar, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, but I did point out to the family that even the Apple logo is a bite out of a fruit, right? <laughs> Almost hearkening back to the fall. But in a way, <laughs> yes, in a way, our phones, our social medias, our busy lives, it is a grand symbol. Now listen, it's a good and useful tool. It's neutral, right? It can be used for good and evil. But it is a symbol of our modern world, our connection to all things fast and, and quick and things that would satisfy us and keep us so chained to ourselves, pointed inward, so much so that we just forget that we need our Creator. We forget to pray. We're so burdened down by life. We, we lose connection with eternity and with all things spiritual. And Christ is here to remind us today in his word, I am the living water. Come to me if you are thirsty. The new job is not going to help you. The bigger house is not going to help you. The switching your life around is not going to help you. If you do not have a vital living relationship with the living water, every other thing you pursue are empty wells that will disappoint you. Because you are created with this enormous sort of God-shaped hole in your soul and heart at the core of who you are. And the whole world is a history of people trying to stuff things in there that don't fit. This is where we get war and devastation and destruction and sin and pride and lust and all forms of evil. We have disconnected from our creator and his good law in his good purposes, and we have sought to find the knowledge of good and evil on our own accord, without the, the tender teaching of the shepherd. Here, Christ is reminding us of the living water. Let me just point you back very quickly. You don't have to turn here, but I want to read you two verses from, from Jeremiah. Two verses from Jeremiah, if I can find them. Jeremiah chapter 2, this, listen to this, Jeremiah chapter 2, this is the word of the Lord to his people. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to those people out there. Israel, my child, my people. He even calls attention to the heavens. Oh, heavens, witness and be shocked. Be utterly desolate. Why? Because my people, they have committed this grand evil. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And two, they have hewn out or created or carved out cisterns or wells for themselves. Broken wells that can hold no water. Oh, how the heart of Jesus weeps and grieves over this. Oh, Jerusalem, old oh, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you under my loving care. And yet, you would not. You continue to carve out wells that hold no water. 
Be appalled, O heavens, and witness. Witness this. Here is the great call. And even in Jeremiah 17, he continues this thought. Just hang with me for a few moments. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you, you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth. For they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. They have forsaken you, the fountain of living water. Back to John 4. First, I want you to see this. Jesus seeks out sinners. Amen. He has come to seek out sinners. Sinners who are busy every day making wells that hold no water. Praise God for this good news. Jesus Christ is a friend to sinners. He has not come with first condemnation, but liberty and good news in saying to all who sit by the roads in the wilderness, you are thirsty, you are dry, you are dead, you are disconnected, you don't maybe understand it, you don't realize why you keep trying to grasp at things that are worthless and have no real eternal value, but oh, hear me, I am the living water, please drink of me and you will never be thirsty again. Verses 1 through 7 is this peculiar story of, of Christ and his disciples traveling through. He just seems to have an interest to pass through Samaria because he is after the one individual. Jesus sees crowds and multitudes, yes, and he teaches to them. But he sees crowds and numbers because he sees the one individual valuable soul. The, the woman or man made in his image that he is trying to get through to, that is on the verge of some type of desperation. And here Christ knows in his sovereign wisdom that there's a woman in Samaria that seems to be an outcast. That maybe you would point at me and judge me because I'm going to connect with this woman, but Christ eats and sits with sinners. And this is good news for you and I. Because in this story, we're not the disciples. We're the woman at the well. We're all broken. We're all sinners in need of God's grace every single day. In need of growth. In need of his life-giving power. Jesus seeks out the one, the individual, the sinner. Befriends them. Loves them. And ultimately points to the surpassing treasure that is himself. Look at verses 10 through 15. This is sort of the main text. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. He's essentially telling this woman, You don't understand. You're missing the point. The gift, the, the source of life, the joy is right in front of you. I'm talking to you. And if you truly understood what you could have here in this gift, you would quickly ask of him, give me this water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Again, thinking of, of temporary surface things here. Where do you get that living water? It sounds great. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this temporal water will be thirsty. Jesus pointing to the well, pointing to the physical water. You continue to come to this well using it as a symbol and an illustrative point of seeking after the things in this world that will sort of fill that spot momentarily, but then it's gone. And you go back again and again, seeking something else to fit that, to fill that void. Jesus is going to compare himself with the worthless things, the things that we find so valuable. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She says, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. All right, give it to me. The treasure is Christ himself here. He surpasses all else. So he seeks out sinners. He is the grand treasure offered to sinners. And look at this. Jesus, full of grace, but also full of truth, must deal and expose our sins to properly cleanse us. We either fall on one extreme or the other. We focus on law or grace, but here Christ blends. And he is equally a man of grace and truth. Verses 16 through 19. Verses 16 through 19. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. What a strange thing to say and just bring up right away. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Jesus is going somewhere, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus, what is he doing here? Exposing, exposing her sin. Exposing the one thing, and there may be more things in her life, but he uses this to, to pull out the deepest part of her soul and heart. Yes, you say it correctly, you have no husband, but you've had five husbands. Five empty wells, relationships. Obviously, there's an issue in this woman's heart with seeking relationships for some type of fulfillment and gratification. And Jesus says, there are empty wells. The man you're with now, empty well. The person on the other end is, is not the main point here. It's the point of this woman continually seeking after some type of avenue other than Christ himself. So Jesus will ultimately have to deal with our sins, our hidden sins, our secret sins. If we truly want this relationship that I'm talking about today, we must confess. We must be open and honest and we must be in a position and posture of surrender and allow the Lord to come in every dark corner of our soul. Cleanse me, O Lord. Cleanse me, O Lord. You're welcome here. You're welcome here. Jesus must deal with our sins and cleanse us. Then will come true healing and restoration. Now look at this. Verses 20 through 24. Heart religion over mere form 
or external ritual. Heart religion over mere form or external religion. They get into somewhat of a debate about the theology of worship of all things. She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Now she's going to shift the conversation. And she's going to try to put herself in a position of religious sort of elitism. Wait a minute. You're trying to expose something here. You're trying to get to my heart. I worship. I'm a worshiper. I worship on this mountain. I'm religious. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here because Christ is here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Forget about your mere forms of worship. Jesus is going to take the conversation of worship from a temple, from a building, from a ritual, from a routine, and say you must have a true religion in the heart, in the spirit. There is coming a time when none of this will matter. It'll all be gone. The temple in Jerusalem will be destroyed, and the spirit of God will flood the earth. We are the temples of the living God. We house the Holy Spirit. He lives and abides in us. And those who come to him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe this is why there is so, so much. Without sounding overcritical, because I myself have fallen into this. Why there is so much sort of empty religion. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from. I came from a Pentecostal tradition that was lively and expressive and people were running. I mean, yes, jumping. And I saw and witnessed people doing that and leaving only to have no joy, no real joy in their life. In a, in a way, their expressive worship was empty religion. If you grew up in a formal tradition, if you're part of a non-denominational, it doesn't matter, right? We all fall into the trap of making our relationship with God something that is mere external. Some type of form that has no power. And here Jesus is urging, you're missing the point, dear woman. The time is coming where the Father is after worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So let him cut past our idols. Let him crush them and destroy them. And sometimes that very idol could be our Christianity, our religion. Well, I go to such and such church, but do you know Christ? That's my, that's my question. That's my prayer. Know him. Know him. Know him. Let me close with this. Here's the response from verses 27 and 30. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled at that he was talking to this woman. What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
They went out of the town and were coming to him. What is the response to the truth of Jesus? Well, it is not neutrality. You cannot be indifferent. Jesus will either make people want to stone him and crucify him or drop everything and follow him. We have been far too content in a message that is watered down, whether it's by America, nationalism mixed with Christianity, whatever the plague may be, lukewarmness, lack of prayer. We have been far too content with lifeless religion, dry, thirsty souls, meandering around churches, going into places seeking some type of relief, Where is God? Where is this water? Please give it to me. Please give it to me. Jesus Christ is this water. Your response then is not indifference. It is come see a man. Drop everything. She leaves the jar of physical water that she came for. Forgetting about this task leaving the jar and going back to the town empty-handed, saying, come see this man, Jesus. He must be the Christ. He must be the Christ. When's the last time you've done that? You forgot everything and just went out to your neighbors and said, can I tell you about Christ? He's the Messiah. Come to him. I can introduce you to him. He's exposed my sins. He's forgiven me and cleansed me. This is good news. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that you offer to us living water. Not dead religion, but a religion of the heart, of the soul, of a community of believers who have been awakened, who are connected to the vine, who have the life-giving power of Christ flowing through them. So I pray today, Lord, wherever we're at in our journey of faith, I don't presume to know the hearts of people here. So my prayer is this, Lord, that you would draw them to yourself in a way that they would see you as the all-surpassing treasure and that the things of the world will grow strangely dim next to the blazing light of your beauty. Captivate their hearts and their minds in such a way, Lord, that they have a sort of holy discontent, a holy discontent with where they're at and they desire to grow and move forward and connect with you and connect with your body in a deeper level. Pour out your spirit on us afresh. Give us this water that we will not be thirsty, that we will not have to seek after a career or a relationship to mark our identities, but our true selves will be anchored in you and who you are. Bless every dear soul, every man, woman, child in this place today, And do a special work, Holy Spirit, that only you can do. It's in the wonderful name of Christ we pray. Amen. As they sing, just really quickly, I want to, I just feel the leading of the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? That doesn't make us want to run out of here, right?
just feeling the pressing of the Holy Spirit to ask you to reflect, to think about some of the things I've said, to examine your own heart and, and find out, maybe asking the questions as we sing here, Lord, am I truly relying on you in this way? Do I know you in this way? And if you have any questions about the sermon or any questions about Christ or the gospel, please see me, see one of the elders, talk with us, we'll pray with you. Or if you just want to pray at your seat or come up front and find a place to pray and pray for one another, I invite you to do that. Is that okay? All right. Let's be the church and let's worship and let's pray today.